Welcome, 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 everyone. This is episode one, our initial podcast for Global Warnings. You can go on our website, globalwarnings.org, and listen to us on the Apple Store. Download all the podcasts and listen along. Um, today we are joined by a very special guest, Shirley Brown. How's it going, Shirley? How are you doing, Shirley? Oh, great. I'm glad to be here. I didn't know I was your first one. First one. Yeah. Oh, We're breaking well, it in. We're breaking yeah. it in. Yeah. There'll uh, never be another one. <laughs> uh, my name is Dustin Luer. I'm joined by my cohort. Reagan Fox. Reagan Fox, the foxy one. Um, so we're going to jump right in with Shirley so we don't waste all of her time today. Shirley, you're from Oshkosh Bagosh, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think I might have even predated the overalls. No, I guess the overalls had been there for a while. I used to wear those like every day in preschool. The ladies loved them. Yeah. yeah. You could even I'm take like play. one overall piece off the shoulder, oh, and fling it back unstrapped. and hang it off. The girls really like that. Oh. So how do you go from Oshkosh Bagosh to Sarasota, Florida? Well, I, I moved around a lot as a child. Um, I moved to Milwaukee. I uh, was there for several years, then um, went down to Texas for a little bit, and then up to Chicago, uh, I think from the time I was 10 until I was um, in my early 20s. Then I moved back to Milwaukee and uh, married my husband 43 years ago. Wow. It's a, a long time. <laughs> yeah. Then it, it, well, he was a salesman, so we moved around in that area a lot. Um, you know, up to Port Washington, down to Racine and Rockford, and then uh, we moved here to Sarasota, and we've been here almost 30 years now. Which, I love it. Which part of Texas were you in? Um, I think near Galveston or something. Oh, okay. Who knows where you're living when you're eight years old? Yeah, true. So you're loving life in Sarasota now. We got beautiful sunshine every morning. It rains every afternoon in the summer right now, but at least we can track our weather and we know what to expect. Um, so, you are running for re-election for school board. Yep. Um, this will be my um, fourth term, if elected. Um, prior to that, I was in the state legislature from 92 to 2000. Education was a very important issue to me. In fact, when I first moved down here, my, my youngest, who is now 40, um, was starting kindergarten. You guys do the math. You can figure out how old I am. Um, and uh, I was volunteering in the schools. I also started Sarasota Newcomers Club when I was here. Um, life was good. Then my husband had me start a collection agency. Um, and someone recommended me to run for public office. And I'm like, what? Um, but I did it. And um, I, I felt it was an important thing for me to do. And I, I really enjoyed being in the legislature. I chaired the Women's Caucus and um, had an important voice in a lot of issues. But education was always my main focus. So if, if reelected, what are some of your um, main points of what you want to see happen in, in the oncoming years? Well, the number one thing I'd like to do is, you know, Sarasota has been for 15 years straight, one of only two schools that have had that distinction to get an A rating. But St. John's County always beats us out and they're number one. Now we have more Title I schools, uh, you know, those are low income schools, which um, have, of course, there's a lot of mobility there and, and it's a little dip more difficult um, to bring those scores up. But we're working on it. We've got some plans to make that happen. Um, and we're just two points away from being number one. That wow. is my main goal, to be number one in the state of Florida. Being first or last. Yes. Yeah. 
So, you know, we've got some of the n number one schools just in, in the state already. Uh, you know, on the one hand, we've got Pineview School for the Gifted. Uh, we've got some, you know, yeah, terrific well, kids I there. To, spent my middle school days at Pineview. Oh, my son did too. Uh, but yeah, I think you were there before he, um, after he was. And then, um, you know, we've got Oak Park for students with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, exceptionalities and, and uh, severe dis uh, disabilities. Um, but in between, I mean, we've got Revis, we've got the Booker Performing Arts School, you know, and then down in Venice, we've got the Performing Arts Hall that we work with and technical centers that we've got. We've we got some wonderful programs in, in Sarasota. There's, uh, we know we're number one, but we just got to prove it to the DOE. Now, it's been a weird year for the school board, am I right? Yeah, it's, well, it's been a weird year for the school board. Well, it's been a weird couple of years. It sounds like there's been some internal communications going on um, yeah there's been, been so some internal communications um, well some of that started you know you, you get new board members and there, there's a little um, a dysfunction sometimes to get everything pulled together um, but um, I think it's been a little more challenging uh, because I think there's a philosophical difference between some of us on the school board now um, you know uh, there's three of us that are uh, members of the Florida School Boards Association, which is the state association that um, works for public schools. And, um, and then uh, our chair currently is also president of a coalition of school board members that advocates for um, some of these for-profit charter schools. And um, and in, in, in another board member, and they, they think that we need to be supportive of what the legislature is doing to schools. And um, we think that um, the Florida School Boards Association is, is, is fighting that the legislature, some people say it's the death by a thousand cuts, all these different things that they're doing to schools, public schools, they're putting so many more restrictions on them. You know, all of these requirements to take all these tests, uh, some people feel that it, it's it's part of a process to make people turn away from public schools mm -hmm. and turn to these uh, private schools. Um, and, you know, the legislature has over a billion dollars now going to uh, vouchers or different scholarships, they call them different voucher programs, uh, to private so schools. Just the HOPE scholarship and stuff? Well, the HOPE scholarship is a new one. Okay. Um, so that's like if you buy a new car, you can check a little box and up to $125 of your sales tax, uh, which would have gone into the general revenue to pay for public schools and, you know, as the health care and all kinds of other things that the state pays for, um, it will now go to this uh, scholarship program for children who are bullied. And, you know, there's some complaining about that because, well, why don't you put some funding towards helping the kid who's bullied or taking him out of the school, uh, something like that, because it doesn't solve the problem for, mm -hmm. for the real underlying problem. I've got a scholarship question that's bothered me for years and years and years. So here in Florida, we have Florida Bright Futures, right? So if you get good enough grades in high school and have enough extracurriculars, whatever the, the different marks may be now, um, that the state has enough funding to give X percent per Per GPA for your college, right? And so when I went to college, they had they offered 100% Bright Futures, and they paid for some of my books. And over the years now, that that, that has declined to 75% for people, no book money, and it's becoming less and less available to these students, is what it seems like. So Bright Futures is funded by the Florida Lottery, correct? 
Um, yes, it is. Yeah. In fact, when I was in the legislature, I uh, sponsored that legislation, and it, I was one of several board uh, legislators that came forward and said we want to do that and kind of mirror what was happening in Georgia. And if you get, um, I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's a 3.75 or higher, you get the one that's supposed to pay 100% um, and your books. And I think it's, a, is it a 3.0 um, that you will, you get the 75% one. But when the uh, economy went down, the legislature pulled back on the funding, but that's coming back up. Yeah, but if so, it's, so the they thing are that irks going to me be. Is it's been funded by the lottery for all these years, and, and so they if they have a jackpot go off at five hundred million dollars, they're going to tax the person that wins, and also, I mean, who needs five hundred million dollars? Honestly, why don't they just reduce the total amount paid out and use some more funding to give these kids better futures? Well. In order for them to be able to pay out 500 million, they're, they're gonna have to take in like 1.2 billion in sales. Um, so when there's that much that they're giving out, um, there's more activity. So more people will be putting, you know, Correct. being paying for it. Um, some people just aren't, I mean, they consider, you know, the lottery a form of gambling and there are people who are hooked on the lottery. So, um, it, it, it is a mix. You have to be able to um, entice them with enough winnings that they want to pay. I mean, and again, is that something government should be doing, enticing people to gamble? Um, and uh, it, it, it's all a, a mixture. The reason we did this out of the lottery is, is, you know, everyone considered the lottery a shell game. Everyone promised that the lottery would be for enhancements to education. And it turned out that you know they were sending the money down to the schools and to the, and um, it was coming back. Well, how did you use your lottery dollars? And more often than not, um, some nasty little remarks were coming back to the legislature. Well, we used it to fill the gaps that you didn't pay for and things like that. And we're going well. And so as legislators, they were like, we don't know what they used the money for. Um, and school oh, districts are saying they didn't give us. So Citrus. what we did is is we said okay we want to be able to point to something that the lottery dollars were being used for. Now, lottery dollars will go straight to colleges too, um, in addition to the Bright Future Scholarship, in addition to um, it pays for um, a teacher supply allocation every okay. year. You know, there's, and then very little money now goes down to the individual schools, but it, most of it is taken care of in this Bright Futures, and, and that put our colleges in a, in a bind um, because you know, if, if the um, tuitions went up, they were having so many people wanting to come in with the Bright Future Scholarship. They were not, you know, they didn't have room for other students, mm -hmm. and they were like, the Bright Future Scholarship it doesn't bring in as much money as say out of state students or out of country students. You know, those are much more lucrative Correct. to our schools. Yeah. Here's colleges. another fiasco that happened this year: the school police force. School and, police know, you force. Had Eric Robinson and Tom Knight texting around, I guess. And then you had um, just recently um, Superintendent Bowden. And you're asking way a lot of questions and way a lot of stories one. here. <laughs> but um, and, and and probably a good thing this isn't filmed because I probably went through several different facial expressions just now. Um, you know, after Parkland, th there was a lot of of angst frustration, anxiety, um, and um, 
and I think that's where a lot of the problems, the major problems on the board started. Um, and it started with, uh, uh, you know, not understanding our roles. Um, the, um, our board chair and I think one of our principals were called to Tallahassee to be on a special panel that the governor set up. And I think that was on Thursday. And our chair came back on Friday and decided we needed to have a meeting right now uh, on, on the following Monday. Well, this was a three-day weekend. Um, school, the schools weren't in, you know, our staff was home. A lot of them might have even been on, I know I took a three-day weekend because, you know, we have grandkids in school. You've got to work around the school schedule. Our superintendent had a three-day weekend. Uh, he had his son, you know, from middle school and, and some of his friends. They were over at Daytona watching race. And then you had our board chair thinking that, you know, she was in charge and calling this meeting and, and calling people in who were supposed to be on a on break, you know, come in to do this meeting. Um, well, no when the superintendent attend. wasn't there and not all the yeah. board members were there, that was a problem. And and I was just talking to her husband last night, and, and he said, well, she, he, the superintendent makes it difficult for her to run the district when he's not there. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not her job. That, this, that's not the job of the school board chair. The school board chair runs, the, and the school board takes care of the policy and the budget. The school board does not run the district. And I think that's where we've had some problems because we've had board members that think that they can just go in and talk to staff and tell staff what they need to do. Uh, no, uh, we are not their bosses. The superintendent is their boss. And so that's caused some frustration. Um, in regards to the, the, the police, I mean, the, we had the sheriff demanding that we make a decision and, and put uh, deputies in all of our schools. Well. We didn't get funding to put the deputies in the schools this year. It was for next year. And you know the intent of the legislature was for us to take this time and do planning and then be ready when school starts in August. Well, you know, we had the sheriff demanding we do something now. Um, and we had you know, some members of our board saying, we've got to do this now. And you know, I know. You know, I tried to tell the sheriff, wait a minute, this is supposed to be for next year, not now. Um, he didn't care. He says, well, I'm going to send them over and send you the bill, which you know, he ended up doing, and we paid it. Um, but it was the one for next year that caused the problem, because the sheriff was then like, um, well, you had money for, for this now. You have to pay 100%. And even the legislators who wrote the bill said, no, 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 we don't expect you to pay 100% of all these, these security people on your, in your campuses. We expect you to keep the contracts you have now, and this, we're going to help you pay the new ones. Now, I think it was kind of bold for them to think that the sheriffs would continue to uh, fund more sheriffs on the school grounds even, but, uh, but the sheriffs came back and said, no, we don't even want to share the cost of the current ones you have. And there just wasn't enough money to do all of that. In addition, the contract um, was saying basically that these are going to be cops in your schools, that you know, cops or sheriffs. You know, they're, they're not going to be the, the partnerships that we have right now where they make French, friendships with the kids. Because there was a lot of it. They were saying, well, 
the problem with these these school resource officers is you know they're, they're not really cops we need cops and we need we need uh, police in those schools that are armed I mean I still have arguments with some people that think that um, the law enforcement in our schools should have an AR-15 so that they can match weapon for weapon. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, absolutely not. I don't want any AR-15s in our schools. Um, that's those automatic uh, shotguns yeah. and, and the uh, rifles. So there, there was a difference in opinion on whether they should be tough cops coming in or they should be the resource the officers. Resource officers I think now that things have calmed down, um, we're working a little better together. And, we agreed um, to the 80-20 deal. We agreed say. to an 80-20 split um, and that we would hire resource officers that, um, that come in. A lot of them are retired um, officers from another force, you know. But basically, that these are officers that know what the job is, know they're going to be working on campuses with kids. It's not that, oh, they goofed up over here, so the sheriff sends that guy over. Uh, no, these are people we are going to pick specifically to work with our kids because, you know, that's one thing, you know, we're, we're hardening the outsides. We're making sure that um, we have fencing and, and whatnot up so that someone can't come in. We're making sure that all of our exterior doors are locked during the day so someone can't come in. So if there's a visitor they or even a student wants to come in or out after class starts, they've got to go through the front office. So this would be right in line with some, one of your initiatives that I found because I'm good at Googling. You have an initiative called Make Classrooms Safer, where you have single entry points uh, in schools. And so I guess what would be, how can different schools, or do you have a pilot school that's going to be doing this? Or what's a timeline on something like that and a cost we, difference? We have like been that? working on that. When we redid our high schools and things like that, we, we, we had those things in mind. And when we go onto a school campus now and we were making changes, we already were looking at, uh, you know. Riverview uh, is like that. Yeah. yeah to an extent. Yeah, to, to almost to a fault. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we were doing that already. Um, but what we did is, when, and after Parkland, uh, we, we moved our capital budget around and, and said, no, we're not going to wait and do this school in, in 2018, this one in 2019, 21, mm -hmm. and on. We, we moved all of those forward. We said there's Especially. nothing more important than making sure that our schools are secure. So we moved all that $25 million to make sure that we get all of our, our campuses uh, secure. And the, the contractors that are doing it, and they're, they're doing other schools around the state, they're saying, boy, you guys are just way ahead of where they are because that's something we had been planning to do all along. Do you think some of the schools will be set up ready for the fall semester with all well, that? Well, most of them will. Right. Most of them will. I mean, there was still there was, a, there was a big discussion on whether or not we should close uh, School Avenue during the day to pedestrians. Right now it's closed to um, traffic. traffic. Um, but, you know, pedestrians were able to cross. Well, not only could pedestrians cross, but students could walk out, too. Um, and, and, and everyone, you know, there's, they were so concerned about the shooter, the active shooter. There's all kinds of other safety issues that take place on our, our school campuses on a daily basis. Yeah, there's some fights every now and then, but more often, you know, it's the kid trying to skip out. You know, whereas before you could ditch a class and, you know, well, that just happens. Well, now, I mean, there's a legal liability on the part of the school districts that, you know, we have to be keeping track of those kids from when they get off the bus until they get back on the bus. Uh, and so, um, 
we have to make sure that they're on the campus and they stay on the campus, or if they leave the campus, who, who took them? Or, I remember hearing funny stories of uh, when Mr. Kennedy was the principal at Sarasota High, my brother was there, and when people would skip out and they would end up going to McDonald's or, or Taco Bell, Mr. Kennedy would be, he would be in the window handing out detentions <laughs> back to class. Yeah, well, you know, well, we, we just can't afford to do that anymore, you know, with the social media and all of this other stuff, you know, brutal. where people are, are actually going out and trying to entice kids um, to meet up with them, and uh, some of them for very unsavory reasons. I mean, we, we've seen that, we've stopped that in some cases, but it's those day-to-day -day things that we need to look at. And that's another reason why we want the law enforcement to be on a, on a friendly basis with um, our students so that, you know, if they hear something, they see something, they that they'll say something, to. and not only do they say something, but on the other end, we have something that we can do to intervene, services we can give. Um, we know that 80% of school shooters said something somewhere, posting it, um, and the laws had to change so you could even go in there and access that and, yeah. and take action. I mean, before, if somebody said, you know, and they did it on social media, um, there was even a jurisdictional issue on, on who is in charge of, of that. So laws are changing so that they can intercede on some of those things. Uh, but the other issue is, is suicides, too. I mean, that's a major issue um, for uh, our students, you know, especially students that. Um, are being bullied or, or somebody that, uh, you know, the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when, when kids are having trouble, we need to be able to intercede. They're, they've come up with a plan for the elementary school resource officers. We don't like to call them police, we call them resource officers. Mm -hmm. um, they're coming up with like baseball cards for each of the new off, uh, resource officers that we're gonna cool. have that'll have their picture and they'll have some information about the, ki the, the officer so that, um, you know, the younger kids will, will, will start thinking of law enforcement as, as, as their friend, someone they can look up to, someone they Not can someone meet. Not someone they have to run away from. You know, and, and, and that's what they used to be. You know, but, but things have been changing, and, you know, we, we need them. What do you think about taking our first ever uh, listener question that was texted in this morning? Okay. Before I got on or after I got uh -oh. on? Before. Okay. This is from 8.30 this morning. Uh, this is MK from all the way in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Shout out. Um, how, did, how did they even know I was going to be here? Because you're a big deal, Shirley. That's the reason why. She knew. <laughs> they knew. Okay, so the question is, there's been a rise in opioid-related abuse and deaths amongst young people in the U.S., particularly high rates in our neighboring Manatee County. If elected, if re-elected for school board, how do you plan to combat this ec epidemic in our schools and keep our kids safe? That's actually a really good question. Yeah, it, well, it is, but I mean, I, again, I think, yeah. you know, Global Flo warnings. Florida was the epicenter of these drugs, and it was, you know, there were actually plane loads that would fly down into Florida. I mean, they had these, these, these jets things that would come up, and they would actually come into Florida and buy their drugs and go home. I mean, it was ridiculous, and, and I think there's been articles in the paper about it. And really, you could see, I mean, it was, every, it was to the um, east of the Mississippi, um, and they were just coming down. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with how the laws were changed in Washington to allow that. Um, but I think we, we needed to really clamp down on the drug companies that were giving this. And to me, it was, to me, it, 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 
morally wrong, if not legally wrong, for these drug companies to be telling these doctors to go ahead and prescribe this because it's safe, when in fact they knew, had to have known how addictive it was. I mean, I think we all know somebody who's become addicted to that. You know, there's been some campaigns lately too directed towards young people and saying, don't do opioids at all. Well, you talk about the young people who, who might get to the opioids. I mean, we're also dealing with the children um, who have been taken away from families because the parents are into opioids or the parents died. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a traumatic issue. Have when you you've adopted got, any programs or anything? Not specifically, but we're gonna we're increasing the funding that we have for um, mental health in our schools. Um, again, we want to make sure that our kids can reach out to someone if they're having a problem. But this opioid thing, you know, it, it's not somebody that just went out to get drugs. I mean, these these, these are drugs that were prescribed to um, adults in most cases. And so yeah. that was another thing with these resource officers. You know, they wanted to do away with with the talks that we had with kids about drugs. No, some people said the Dare program wasn't wor working or whatever. Well, you know, I think we need to tell the kids how serious these are. And and you know, when you hear how kids will go to a party and they'll just you know, steal all the the drugs out of their parents' medicine cabinets and put them in a bowl and and just take some drugs. I mean. It, it, you can't safe. do that anymore. Well, no, it's not safe. But yeah, we got to let them know this could kill you, mm -hmm. kill you, lead to a heroin addiction, even. Oh yeah, or lead to yeah. addictions. But it, you know, but it's it, it's it, it's not the same as as you know these people just starting on drugs. I mean, these a lot of these. I mean, they were they were given prescriptions by a doctor, and so now they're looking at limiting those prescriptions mm -hmm. for like two or three days. Um, because you shouldn't be taking these kind of drugs on a long-term basis. Yeah. So another thing I found Googling was you have a, a campaign called Every Student Every Day. Can you tell us a little bit about that campaign? Are you talking about um, a, a pack that was set up or are you talking about um, our program that we're doing in our schools. Your program in schools okay. for autism and yeah, Somebody set up this and pack sure and I'm like, no, I don't want that. Yeah, no. um, but every student every day is we want to make sure that all of our students, um, are, that we, we make sure that we don't let some kids fall behind. It's sort of like the no child left behind um, what they did in Washington because, you know, there's, man, and, and I know that it, it, it sometimes happens where, you know, you, you work with everybody, you know, in the classroom, but, you know, there, there's, there's Joey in the back room, in the back row and stuff like that. He's not paying attention. And you go, well, you know, th that kid's got, you know, nowhere to go. He, 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 you know, he's on his way to prison. Just let him go, you know, not pay any attention to him. No, we can't do that. We have got to look at all of our students, you know, the low-performing ones. We have to make sure that they get their reading scores up. We've started a program um, in our, all of our Title I schools um, so that in the summer, we don't have that summer slide. And in the, in the uh, kindergarten students, you know, they get six weeks of this, and in the morning, four days a week, uh, six days, six weeks uh, before school starts in the summer, where they come to school four days, and in the morning, you know, they, they've got the, the, the lessons. In fact, of kindergarten, it's like learning their ABCs and learning how to hold a pen and doing something like that. And then the afternoon, it's more of a free you know, play time or, you know, activities like that. And then um, we bring the parents in. 
and uh, we work with the parents if the, the, you know, they want to get a GED, they want to learn to speak English, uh, they want to get a um, CNA degree so that they can uh, get a job. You know, we try to help the parents too, and that's been very successful. Um, after kindergarten, we've got one between kindergarten and first grade, first and second, and then the second and third, to do what we can to bring these kids up to on-level reading. Because we know that from kindergarten to third grade, we have to teach them to read. They have to learn to read. And then after third grade, they have to read to learn. Mm -hmm. And so if they didn't learn to read, it's a little difficult for them to um, learn from their reading. So we want to do everything we can to make sure that those kids who are most at risk are the ones that, that get this. So we want to share every child every day. And at the other end, too, even, even the kids that um, are um, gifted, you know, you can't let them not be challenged. I mean, they have to have enough challenging work for them or they get bored in school. Um, we have to make sure, because it's not just um, the kids who are struggling that drop out. I mean, we have kids who are very bright that drop out because why am I here? Yeah. yeah. No, I remember just from spending three years at Pineview, the, the course load from my middle school curriculum was harder than my high school curriculum at a normal school. Even doing honors and AP classes, it just didn't touch it. So. Yeah, and you know, and, and some people think you know that, that they need they, you know some parents want their kids to go to Pineview and they make sure that they do, but I think it's a mistake when parents take a, and push a child over to Pineview that probably shouldn't have been there, um, because it's a lot of struggle. Um, I mean, so you can be at your regular school and uh, be a shining star, um, or you can go to Pineview and always be the one at the bottom level. Um, and what's better for that student? Yeah. I think it would be Makes better for the sense. student to... to I mean, 4.0 is going to be the same anyways, so... Yeah, I, I think it's better for a student to excel uh, than to um, not be able to keep up. And, you know, I, I know... I guess they told me I was gifted back before they really knew what to do with me. They, they put us in a room and, <laughs> you know, we did something with the stars. It was really kind of stupid. I don't know what I was supposed to be doing. Um, but they were practicing on us. Um, but I know that there were days I was just bored in school. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but you have to give them. But um, a, a truly gifted student, you have to push them. You have to give them something that's going to keep them uh, working, keep them excited. A gifted student will be I mean, reading after, I mean, e even besides what they have to do with the schoolwork. They, they've got time. They're going to read a couple of books anyway during the week. Uh, you know, in, a, in a, other kids... You know that they, they have all they can do to get through the reading that they have to do for their school. Uh, so it's just a, a different mindset that we have to work with these kids. And mm -hmm. you know, and then of course there's all those kids in between we work with, and just do what we can. So from my elementary something. school days, I knew Karen Rose. She was actually the one that did my testing to to send me oh. to Plainview. So I have another uh, listener question for you. Um, we got to insert some really cool soundbite here, like ding, 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 yeah. listener email. Or, so this question is, how do you plan to measure up to Karen Rose, former executive director of Sarasota Middle Schools, teacher of 12 years and dealt with de developmentally disabled and enhanced kids, um, served as a school principal with her experience teaching and leading as an administrator and her deeply stemmed connections in this district. Why should voters choose you instead? 
Well, I think that gets back to what is the role of a school board member. Uh, school board members don't run the schools. Um, they are not administrators. School board members um, are the ones that uh, set policy and uh, help write the budget. They, they, they approve the budget. They don't write the budget. Um, but um, I think one of our major uh, responsibilities is to advocate for public schools. And where do you advocate for public schools? Um, that's A, in your community, and, and, and B, in Tallahassee. And um, I understand the funding formula. I can see when they're trying to play a shell game. I know what we need to do to make sure that Sarasota County gets their fair share of the funding. Um, because if we don't get the funding, and if we don't get the right laws passed, um, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it makes it very tough for us to, to go forward. And, and I think I can. And, and I know that, um, you know, Karen's had all this uh, uh, classroom experience. Um, but I don't know that uh, she's, you know, no, I'm going to, I'm not going to say that. Sure. She retired very Well, she, very she, fast. she, she, yeah, she did uh, shortly after the Parkland incident. Um, she said, you know, she, she, she quit without giving notice. Uh, um, yeah, there isn't much information online about that. From just the grapevine, I've heard that she just was unhappy with the way the school board was running. And that's why she left, and then that's why she wants to. Well, it run wasn't for the school board, was it? It was, I mean, why would, why would how the school board running affect a? Well, it's an executive director. Um, I think it should have been all hands on deck um, a couple weeks after the Parkland shooting, and when you have an executive director that abruptly quits with no notice. You know, There's some where, where was your responsibility then, uh, and 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 that sense of responsibility, like like now, part of me says I would love to step down from the school board. You know, I'm turned 65, my husband's 69. You know, we want to travel, we want to do things. You know, but I feel I'm I'm needed here because the board is having problems. There's these, you know. You've got people on the board that think they should run things. And in fact, I was talking to our board chair's husband last night after a farm uh, uh, meeting, and he said, how is she supposed to run things when the superintendent is gone if these administrators won't talk to her? And I'm like, wait a minute. It's not the job of the school board chair to run the district in the superintendent's absence. It is the job of the assistant superintendents and the people he puts in place. And, and that's, I think, where we are having problems. School boards do not run the districts. We hire a superintendent to run the district. Now, is this guy the best guy? You know, the, I'm, when he came in, I had voted against him. I thought there was somebody with more K-12 experience. Um, but he's got a good business background. And he's been running the business side of things in a, in a good way. We've been having uh, complaints about, oh, he put on too many administrators. Well, we were cutting back on administrators when the economy was down. Mm -hmm. Now it's time to, to put these people in place because Tallahassee keeps giving us more and more and more, to, and Washington, of reports and whatnot that we have to, and more emphasis has to be put on the data. Um, so what we did is we, we put more assistant principals and these assistant principals are actually teachers. These are teachers in our community that we put through a leadership training program. Work closely with students. And so we too. promoted teachers. I mean, to say we added administrators is one way to say it. I prefer to look at it as we promoted teachers uh, mm -hmm. to help with those things. Uh, you know, it's not that we just you know 
brought in, you know, outside people to yeah. run the schools. These were teachers that we promoted to positions, and the superintendent says, um, let's look at our high schools. We want some uh, assistant principals to be looking at, you know, one in charge of the looking at the curriculum and the data. We want another assistant principal that's going to be taking care of the facilities, the, the, the grounds. You know, every time, you know, a, a toilet overflows or a window breaks or you have to make sure the grounds are ready for the football game. Um, rather than having that on the back of the principal, I mean, we're going to be having somebody in charge of that um, at the schools. Uh, so That's that great. kind of cleared things up, and I think as a businessman, uh, he could see that we needed to separate some of those uh, rules. We had a, um, a curriculum department you know, that was ordering books for K-12, and then we had a professional development department that was working on K-12, and he said, wait a minute, why isn't the curriculum department and the professional development working together? No, so he together. combined those. So you had a K-5 curriculum and professional development department, and then you had one for middle school and high school. So that those two are working together. And you look at that and you go, yeah, why didn't I think of that? It's a good idea. Mm -hmm. There's more, you know, and then there's more, more sharing heads. of ideas and, and looking at the results of what you're doing. Making some change while you're in the position. You know, uh, People think having a superintendent, you know, problems with the superintendent, the, you know, it's this superintendent, you know, we've never had this before. We were fortunate. We had Lori White um, in, and, um, you know, things ran smooth. Because Lori White liked things to run smooth, and she worked with the, the teachers' union and the teachers, and, and, and everybody knew. I mean, Lori wore her heart on her sleeve. Lori knew. Uh, and we all knew where she was on this. She wanted things to run smoothly and work things out. And, and people did not, uh, you know, press her or, or, or fight back on what she was doing. Um, so we knew after Lori White left that whoever filled her position was going to have a hard road to hoe. But when I first came on the board in 2006, one of the reasons was, was because there was infighting on the board over the superintendent. Um, you know, we had the teachers and the teachers union, you know, just bashing him left and right, saying we need to get rid of this guy, he's got this new plan, he's make, making us do all these things. You know, well, it turned out his plan, the next generation plan, um, we're still using that plan, we're modifying uh -huh. it every year, but basically the, the, the plan that he put in place is a good plan. The thing that really was the, the issue that everyone hated him for and wanted him out is that he put active boards in classrooms, and he wanted all the teachers to use these active boards. And we had a lot of teachers that said, I don't want to do that. I don't have to do that. Why should I get all this learning? I'm retiring in two years or whatever. Yeah, but now you look at it and you go. Isn't your job to enhance the lives of kids and students? Well, see, well, there were a lot of, a lot, it was the big, it was a change. It was Adapt a change, and teachers didn't like the, the change. And I, I think that they would, you know, bite your hand if you tried to take those active boards out of their classrooms now. Mm -hmm. um, and that he also said, because it wasn't fair, he said, that we had schools like Pineview and Southside that had parents who could afford to donate to the PTA or PTO uh, and buy these active boards and computers for the classroom. It wasn't fair that they had all of that and then our other schools didn't, especially our Title I schools. So he said, no, we're going to use our referendum dollars and we are going to put computers in the classrooms and these active boards in the classrooms, you know, throughout the county so that it's fair, everyone gets it. 
And, and I thought that was a, a wonderful idea. That's what we needed to do. Yeah, technology is everything nowadays. I mean, yeah, but, kids but, are probably learning from four years old. You get handed an iPad, but, leave but, home and daddy alone. But 12 years ago, you all were, were doing technology. The kids were definitely further ahead than where some of our teachers were. Mm -hmm. and, and it was hard. It was a change. So I have to kind of keep that in mind, too, when we're looking at, you know, the superintendent. Um, I think on a business side, he's been doing the budget and getting some things done and making some changes. Um, Personality-wise, I, I, I think there, he's had some stumbles, uh, especially with there's, our union. There's fighting even when he was picked. Like, oh, well, there there was some infighting. There was in. when 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 uh, every time you have a new school board member who has expectations that aren't met, you know, he, there's, there's problems. Because I know Eric was have, making demands even before the superintendent came on. I mean, Eric was there, you know, from November until March when the superintendent came on and, and, and things weren't all rosy then. There was fighting on the board. Mm -hmm. So it, it isn't all around the superintendent and it isn't all at his feet. He's not blameless in this. He's got some issues that he needs to uh, address. Um, um, I think that he needs to take into consideration how his actions um, affect the district. Like when he posted on the marquee, um, the teachers are the highest paid in the state when the teachers were- um, Striking. Well, they weren't striking. They were protesting yeah, yeah. Um, the actions uh, on the, uh, the, uh, the board, on, not the board, but the uh, superintendent and, and the, when they were looking at the contract for making a raise. Um, and if anything, um, the superintendent came back with, well, basically it was a 3.75% raise across the board. Um, and then it was three and a quarter for effective teachers, uh, four and a quarter for highly effective teachers. Um, even though they negotiated that, um, the uh, teachers union didn't like it because, you know, it, it comes down to merit pay. But we had 1,600 and some highly effective versus 800 effective. Um, or 900 effective. So, uh, it gives you initiative to. Tr to try some some too. people like that, but the legislature said you had to. Apparently, you know, before we kind of worked around that. Um, but we had board members, uh, you know, Eric and Bridget wanted us to bring in a negotiator because they thought that um, the, you know, we had an, our attorney and he thought he was just too friendly with the union that we needed to have somebody representing our side. So they brought in an outside. Um, negotiator, well, that kind of was like, you know, nails on a blackboard. The union hated him. Yeah. Uh, and, That's you know, but, but that wasn't so much to the superintendent. And we, we had board members who wanted to see that. And then, you know, I think at the board meeting on Tuesday night, uh, Bridget, I'm, I'm sorry, our, our chair um, complained that, you know, one of the re reasons she wrote the, the marked him down and gave him a one for labor negotiations is because um, she had agreed to only a 3% raise and the superintendent had come back with a much higher raise than that um, to make the and didn't think happy. that was fair and, and thought that he should have been talking to us more. I mean, and I tried to get an executive session um, so that we could talk and so we could understand where we all were uh, while they were having these protests but you know the chair wouldn't call the meeting and I couldn't get a second on the board to do it. The superintendent wouldn't call it. To me, that was wrong. The superintendent should have listened to us, should have listened to me at least. I mean, if I had these concerns, 
they should have been talked out. Mm -hmm. He shouldn't just disregard when someone has valid concerns, be it me or anybody. I mean, if we have a valid concern and we want to meet and talk about it, just like meeting with the sheriff. I mean, when, the, when the, those text messages were going back and forth and we were just starting to talk about having a police force, I sent uh, text messages to all the school board members, uh, to the sheriff and to the superintendent saying, we need to sit down and we need to talk. We need to bring the police t department, the police chiefs in and the sheriff in, our people in, and let's look at what this plan is gonna look like. That was ignored um, and until, you know, when Bridget, when our chair wanted to call her meeting, uh, she did. But when I was asking for it all of April, it didn't happen. Um, but when I was asking the superintendent to do this, he shouldn't have put me off. He should have said, okay, let's do this. But at the same time, you don't let one person run how the district works either, so. Yeah. Well, Shirley, it was wonderful, wonderful meeting you. Thank you for being our guinea pig and being our first ever interview on Global Warnings. Oh, I'm sure you'll get millions of viewers. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Um, when is the vote to make sure everyone gets out? Well, That's the important I, thing. I would think that the um, um, mail has already started in this race, um, but uh, the absentee ballots go out on the 24th, I believe. Uh, so voting starts, I would say, on the 25th. I would think that half of the people who are voting are receiving vote-by-mail ballots in the mail now. Uh, but the election will finally be over August 28th, and uh, you know, win, lose, or draw, my husband and I are gonna take a week down on a beach <laughs> resort someplace in the Aruba. Caribbean. Aruba, <laughs> Aruba, the best place I've ever been. Amazing. Anyways, thank you so much again. Um, that's it for us for the Shirley Brown interview on Global Warnings.